Counselor Accents Podcast. Two school counselors who love their jobs. Oh, and they happen to have Southern accents too. Bless their hearts. I'm Laura Rankhorn. And I am Kim Crumley. And together we are Counselor Accents. Two school counselors who are in the trenches with you. We know what you're going through because we're living it every single day. Hey, Kim. Oh, that was a good deep voice. Hey, Laura. (laughs) Well, I never know what to say really after we do our intro. Like, do we say hello? Do we just dive right in? Sometimes I dive right into our story, but then. Yes, you do. I don't know. Just go with where the wind blows you. Yeah. Where the wind blows you. I felt like you deserved a low greeting. Uh, Well, I appreciate the low tone greeting. Uh, One of the things I have learned about from a genius behavior person is that students uh, sometimes will follow a lower voice than than the higher voice. In fact, students with what did she say? Oh, maybe if their brain is triggered, they're in survival. They don't hear a high register. I think that's what she told me. So well, I thought about I, you and you using your low voice when a student is dysregulated. It also works with my children because whenever I'm like, toys away in that high pitch, they just keep on doing their thing. But when yep. I look at the voice and say, let me tell you one thing right now, it gets their attention. And mm-hmm. so I would say your genius behavior friend is correct. As she is correct. My genius behavior friend, Joy Winchester. Uh, so we're talking about where the wind blows you. The wind blew you to Dollywood. The wind, and it truly was like you and I were in a meeting and you said, hey, what are you doing after this meeting? And I said, well, we are going to Dollywood. And it was just kind of a, my husband and I. No, were talking- no, 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 no. That is not at all. Okay. All day long, we're in this meeting together. Uh-huh. And so I said, what do you want to do afterwards? Do you want to go shopping? So we go shopping. Then we sit down to have a popsicle. And we're sitting at Froze having a popsicle. And you look over at me and you said, it's four o'clock. And you say, we're going to Dollywood. I think we're going to go to Dollywood. And I thought, well, in a week or two. I said, when? When we get through these popsicles. We'll go pick up the kids from after school and we'll go on. And I'm like, you're not packed. You're not even home. You're just sitting here licking your popsicle. Like you got nothing to worry about. Well, and I so, think it speaks volumes about how much I love my time with you because I really did put you over Dolly. Oh, you think I hope it. Dolly's not hearing this because you know she listens to this podcast. You're right. I'm sorry, Dolly. But I just, I, I didn't want to cut my time with you short. It's so rare that we get to be together. I know. I've been in person. So did you post those pictures of us with eating the popsicles? Maybe by the time this airs, they will have been. Because they were so pretty of me and the pumpkins behind me and the popsicles. I dropped myself out of it. Thank you. I'd appreciate that. Well, in rebuttal to your buttle, Uh and that may not be any even a sentence, I'm going to Dollywood and I'm leaving after school tomorrow, just like you did. You are such a copycat. You can't let me have anything. But I can promise you it's not going to be like, hey, you want to go to Dollywood? Yeah, let's go right now. I've put forethought into this. 
for two days. And yes, but that is at least yeah some thought. We so did I'm going go. to work tomorrow and leaving from work at three, and I do not know when I'm going to pack. So oh. I guess I'll get up early in the morning and pack, and then I have to pack all Clanton's medical equipment, which I please feel sorry for me because it is a lot. So now I've backed out. I'm not going. I don't blame you. Um, we had a great time though, and I hope that you have as great a time because. It was my younger daughter's birthday. Yes. She was on our podcast a few weeks ago. And um, so it was her birthday. And so she wore the button. You can wear a button for your birthday. Um, She had on her birthday shirt. And so all over the park all day, people were saying, is it your birthday? Happy birthday. And so that was very fun for her. And it's not like at Disney because it because you're not going to get that Southern happy birthday that you're going to get at Dollywood. Right. And then you can get a free cupcake in the bakery if it's your birthday. And so. There are a lot of perks to having a birthday. I hear, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And your birthday. It will be my birthday. Yeah. We, yes. Uh, no judgment. Um, And she was tall enough to ride the rides. And so oh. we rode every single ride multiple times. Oh, that's fun. It was fun. So but that means it wasn't there. too busy. Does that mean it wasn't too busy? No, it means we paid extra to get the oh. time saver passes. That's How much are these time saver passes? Um, I can't remember, but I don't feel like that's conversation that our audience is interested in. Well, you know what? Can't hide money. Can't hide money. I think everybody's interested in Dollywood, Laura. Well, there, there are levels. You can get different levels. Um, Why is everything cost more now? I don't get it. I had that same thought because I remember the good old days of Disney when you didn't have to pay for fast passes, but now you've got to pay for semi-fast passes. You've got to pay for speedy fast passes and super lightning fast passes. So it's just... You went into your Minnesota voice. Super lightning passes. I I don't get it. I don't get what this is. And, And why, Dolly? That's just my, I know you're Dolly, but why? You're not, you know? Well, you know what I think sparked this Dollywood trip? On Wednesday, um, I we had a conference that we had to go to. And when you picked me up, you told me my hair was higher than you had ever seen it. And you said it was. It was level. And I feel like I was still on that high, no pun intended. Mm. And I needed to go be one with Dolly. And you did. I did. And now I will tease my hair tomorrow and I will go be one with Dolly. Very good. And I am just waiting for the day that you and I will go to Dollywood together. It's happening. When you go this weekend, I want you to map out our trip because we're doing it. Oh, we're doing it. I would have rather gone with you and I hope my family's listening to this, but I, they, this was what, they wanted to do it's not a good time for me to get right now but hey we're doing it we're doing it yep and we're gonna do it so you just find the time okay so laura this is an intro for a podcast that i actually was not a participant to i begged you not to do it without me 
And I purposely And you could there. not wait. I was at the beach, another trip. <laughs> I know. You could not kind of, wait. It's kind of embarrassing because I'm having to tell all of our guests, well, Kim's at the beach. Okay, well, no, we can't do it that week because she's going to be at Dollywood. Oh, we can't do it that week because she's going to be in Boston. And can't do it that week. So I really would like it if you would just stay put for a little bit. I would that I could. But yeah, you went right ahead and tried to prove that you could do this on your own. And I I imagine the guest was wonderful, but I imagine you failed miserably. Well, she did say that she wanted to meet you. So sure, sure. Um, I feel like something was lacking with just me. Um, so- and the guest, the guest, but the, this is the deal. The guest was so good and it was, a, it was, everybody has a story. So when it's an everybody have a story, it's usually they just tell their story. And oh my goodness, guys, this story, you, I really want you to be in the right headspace to listen to this story. It's going to be a tough one, but you know, all of our, everyone has a story episodes are tough because as counselors, we have so much empathy. And when you hear this story, I think that it's going to awaken something in you, or it's going to, you're going to be thinking about students because this person's story, um, I don't think anybody would have known what was going on truly. And I think as counselors, I know you and I have had the conversation. That is what scares me so much. And sometimes, sometimes the students want to hide it because they're ashamed. Sure. Sometimes they don't know that it's any different than what anybody else goes home to what they've grown up in. So it's, it's those students aside we've talked about like our frequent flyers before. It's not our frequent flyers that worry us. It's those that we never really hear, hear from, from that are actually going through terrible scenarios. Yeah. So this was a tough one to record, but, but nor is the name of the guest and she is just so wonderful. And I feel like she should be a third person on our podcast, Kim, because oh. I feel like if the three of us were to be together, in a location and it's going to happen. We've decided it's going to happen. It's going to be like the best time ever. The three of us would hit it off because right. she tells her story, but she's so funny. Like we had these conversations after we stopped recording and it's like, I didn't want it to stop. We actually had to record on two different days. And I was so excited on that second day to talk to her because she's just so pleasant and funny and just, I don't know. I was just excited to get to talk to her again. So I feel like she cannot wait. I'm very excited for our listeners to hear it, but also prepare yourself. So today we have a guest that I have tracked down and we have worked for months to be able to uh, bring this story because it's such an important story because I think there are so many of our students that have similar situations at home. And the more we have awareness of what some of our students may be experiencing, the more we're able to be available and to help. So it's just me today. Thank goodness Kim's not with us because she would hog you and ask all the questions. So I get to have you all to myself and I get to ask all the questions. And so I hope that our listeners enjoy this rare treat of Kim not being here. So um, we have Noor with us. I want you to just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and then we'll jump into your story. 
course. So my name is Noor. I am from Vallejo, California. I'm in my late 20s. I like to write. Um, I've written a few um, essays about the topic we're about to discuss um, today. So heard your story on um, another podcast. And when I listened to it, because your story happened while you were in high school, I just couldn't help but think of what that must have looked like for you in high school, coming to school every day. And um, so I want us to, let's start with how you grew up and uh, what life looked like for you when you were growing up. So when I was, yeah, so like in my childhood and maybe some of my very, very early adolescence, um, my life, honestly, just, it really felt like pleasant, you know, like my family, thankfully, like I grew up um, in a family where I felt things were very stable. Um, You know, my mom, especially like we had always had a really good relationship with each other. So that was always, um, that was always there looking into our family from the outside, I think, I feel like, I don't want to say it like that, but for lack of better words, like, I feel like it kind of was like picture perfect. Like, um, you know, we went camping as a family, uh, like took trips together, things like that. And, and we were very happy and stuff. Um, and I feel like that, that was like the reality inside of our home too. It's not just outside looking in, like things really were, uh, good for a while. Um, from my recollection, obviously, but, um, yeah, but I mean, I'd say maybe like at 13, that's kind of when things started to change like 12, 13. Okay. Yeah. So what did you start noticing at 12 and 13? I feel like there was just very subtle animosity between my parents. Mm -hmm. There was stress going on that maybe I wasn't able to pick up on like exactly where the stress was coming from as a as a kid felt like my father kind of started to change a little bit he had like kind of mood changes that was kind of like the beginning of beginning stages I guess of when he started to become like abusive like 13 that was also the year like it was kind of like around the time of the recession and because my father owned like his own small business um, he was hit pretty hard and he was a sole provider for our family of like six. So that definitely caused like a lot of stress uh, for him, I'm sure, especially because he was used to providing for us. Mm-hmm. And like we had been renting homes like my whole life. We never owned a home or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, so that was when I became 13. Okay, uh, That's when we had to move out of um, the house that we were currently renting and living in and move into my father's computer shop. And I feel like that obviously caused like a big shift, physical, environmental shift in where we were living and also just kind of emotional, mental uh, shift and just kind of understanding like, oh yeah, things are really changing a lot. It's getting really stressful. It's getting more real, I guess, like um, like what, we're, what we had to like struggle with and stuff like that. And so how were your brothers? How was this on them? I feel like my eldest brothers, like then and even now, like they aren't super expressive. Okay. Um, I remember in the last house that we were living in before moving into my father's uh, shop, that was the first time in that house that I saw my father um, like actually get physical with my mom. Okay. And I was there and my little brother as well. Like we both witnessed it like as it was happening and I ran to my older brothers when they were in their room 
rooms and I was just like screaming, you know, like, uh, I was like, oh, you know, like dad's hitting mom basically. And they just kind of, you know, like didn't even think about it. They just ran over and, and kind of wedged themselves like in between my parents. Um, and like me, I, I was pretty shaken up and I'm sure that they were too. It's just, we never talked about it. Even, even now, like there hasn't been a lot of, uh, expression I guess of like how they were feeling or anything like that so I would say like on the surface they seemed fine um but I think to an extent we all seemed fine like on the surface so that must have been a complete shift in the picture perfect life that you feel like you had had and then these changes just coming on all of a sudden I mean it's like a complete 180 exactly and actually like that day like when I when I saw my father like first hit her after that I I couldn't see my father the same way after that I remember in my diaries I would refer to him as like father instead of like Baba which is like more affectionate Mm -hmm. um and and that was prior to him even hitting her but that was just like when I started noticing things but especially after it's just my relationship with him yeah couldn't really be the same so you witnessed your dad physically abuse your mom yeah and then where did things go after that so that first time I guess uh, that he hit her that happened like in February and then we moved into the shop in July that year so yeah just things are very tense I remember that like you can never feel completely relaxed Mm -hmm. um and I feel like already like from the first time that he hit her like you couldn't relax anymore um just because you feel like there's like a threat kind of like inside of your own house and your own family. It's not something you could, you know, get away from. There's not like a sanctuary anywhere else, like your home. And, and this is what home is. And since this is like the counselor podcast, I was, I was just kind of thinking about, I always think about it just because obviously that was my experience. And like when you're living it, mm-hmm. I feel like all you're thinking about is kind of I guess like survival and just like getting through whatever you're going through. But in hindsight, I'm just like, wow, Um, there were probably so many people at my school going through all types of things like at home. Um, And we all just came to school every day. It's something I think about a lot. It's just a thought. (laughs) Yeah, you bring up a really good point. So what kind of student would you say that you were? Um, So I had like a dramatic shift, I guess. I mean, like prior to sensing some kind of like instability or abuse at home I was like getting really good grades and um like excited about going to school and like had good attendance and stuff um and then like after I feel like it was just hard for me to focus I guess or I don't know just like the way that I feel I was impacted was like my grades just completely like I went from getting like A's and B's and just really trying my hardest Mm-hmm. to pretty much just getting like C's and D's mm-hmm. like in my classes um like C was yeah and I feel like I was still like well behaved and stuff so there's that but like my academic um my academics suffered I guess in that regard so well and I mean that makes a lot of sense understandably so because you definitely had trauma going on at home so when you were at school, were you hoping to blend in? Were you, um, did you feel like you were the only one that was going through something like this or how, what were your thoughts? If you recall. I did feel that way. 
um, like I was like the only one. Um, and even in like high school, which is when most of all of this that we're talking about happened, it occurred when I was in high school. Um, I honestly, like, I had like a group of people that I hung out with and, you know, like for lunch or whatever, but I didn't have like close friends, like at my school. Okay. Um, and on top of that, like, like everything that we were dealing with at home, uh, my mom, she, like, she didn't want us to talk about things. And, and then like, you kind of also just feel like, you know, I don't really want to talk about this stuff, um, with people. Um, so well, yeah, so that's kind of how it was. Since home was no longer your safe place, school probably became the closest thing to that. And so to bring what you're going yeah. through at home into school makes that not a safe place anymore. I think that actually makes sense. Yeah. I think uh, school, like, I guess I was still like excited about going to school um, mm-hmm. just because it was like a getaway from home. Because like before before we moved into the shop, when things were tense, like at our home and stuff like that, um, there was at least the relief of like when my father was at work. Hmm. Um, and like that just hit me like, yes, of course, yeah. because if you're at his work, there's yeah. no time to just take a deep breath. Not exactly. Like I remember like when we were living at the house, every time like Sunday, especially would come, like he had no work on Sunday. Like I hated Sundays. Even now I still feel some type of way about Sundays. Yeah. And I think it's like attributed to that because he becomes like the center, I guess, of like all of our worlds. Like we mm-hmm. kind of have to cater to him and like, you know, make sure we don't like, it's like you're walking on eggshells, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say it's like an eggshell situation. <laughs> yeah. It feels very intense because like, it's like all the time. And then again, the shop, it's like you're there 24 seven, except for like when you're at school or, you know, rarely when you're somewhere else. Um, and like, he's there all the time. So yeah, so school was good, um, relief. And I was grateful for, for school, like getting me out of the the shop at that time. So take us to the next part of your story. Um, you had started witnessing this physical abuse between your dad and your mom. Yeah. Um, so the physical abuse, like, I mean, maybe in like four or five year time frame, I think maybe just like five times in total is what I witnessed. Mm -hmm. And that's also including maybe a time or two that my mom told me that my father had hit her when I wasn't around or something. Uh, So the physical abuse, it wasn't really like the primary method, I guess. Um, But there was escalation in a lot of other ways, like um, just like threats. Like, I remember after um, the first time that my father hit my mother in 2009, I can't remember. I I believe my mom did call the police because I think she ta- told one of her close friends what happened. Okay. Um, and that friend advised her to call the police. And, um, and I think she filed a report. And then when my father, like, however he found out, of course, he found out. And I remember he came home. Uh, that night and uh, I just remember it so clearly like this memory but yeah my mom was like she was just like making dinner like she was at the stove and stuff and my father just kind of is like 
towering like behind her and just kind of quietly but I'm like right there so I hear him he said like if you call the police again I'll kill you so um and like that was a threat that in the four years I was like that we were all living at the shop um that was a threat that came up numerous times he also kind of I think was like slowly isolating my mom and and by extension us too from like the people that we knew and like we used to be very very involved in like our community and like the you know I don't know to what extent exactly but I know that like he did talk to like some people here and there in our community um like people that were friends of like both of my parents and he would talk badly about my mom and stuff Hmm. um kind of just trying to paint her in a bad light and and things like that and um and unfortunately I feel like it's very natural unfortunately but yeah people gossip a lot and people want to listen like when something's like intrigues them which is just you know gossip and rumors and stuff like that so um there were a lot of people that my mom just maybe she was close to them at one point but she just didn't want to be around anymore because it's like they're just listening to what my father's saying or you know um so I'm sure there were times when maybe she felt like betrayed by people I want to ask a question yeah. about the threat that you heard him whisper you said yeah. you were standing right there so we talked about how everything felt like eggshells everything was tense all the time but yeah. I'm imagining that that threat took it from an eggshell experience to like a fear. I mean, it's one thing, it's very uncomfortable to live in that constant tension, but I'm just kind of wondering if you felt a shift in your feelings when he was around, once that threat was made. Um, I feel like, I feel like the, like him hitting her, like that was probably the biggest shift for me. Um, just because never did anything like that. He, even in all the years that like he was abusing her, I've never heard him yell or anything like Mm -hmm. very quiet man. It was scary. Cause like, yeah, I mean, like you were talking about like fear and stuff and and, like that, that was definitely there all the time. Cause like I, I, like I had been like such a heavy sleeper at the time. And I remember after he hit her, like little things would wake me up. Like I remember I'd hear like pots and pans in the kitchen, maybe like, like clinking against each other. And I just like wake up out of bed and I'd think that my father was like doing something or, you know, pushing my mom against the dishes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, and then like, that's really how I felt like all the time for a very long time. You're just always kind of thinking like, okay, what, what, like, when is the next thing going to happen? And and what is the next thing going to be pretty much there? There was like a period I remember when my mom and my my father separated for like a year. So there was that. Um, and that was my freshman year, pretty much the whole year. So we were living at one of my mom's friends' houses, uh, like at the bottom, like the basement of her house. But we had to leave. And also like my parents were kind of, I guess, rekindling their marriage somewhat. Okay. Like uh, my father was, you know, trying to visit and like, I remember they would kind of go back and forth. Like really my mom, it's like, sometimes she's cool with it. Sometimes she's like, no, like, I, I don't want to get back together or whatever. Um, but 
and I remember it, it annoyed me and my uh, my older brother. I remember we were talking about it. We we're just like, this is so annoying. <laughs> like, but yeah, like that, that was kind of stressful. And eventually my mom decided to go back. And so we ended up living in the shop again. And, um, and I remember like so many times she would tell me, she's like, yeah, this is like the, the worst decision I made. I shouldn't have, I should have never come back and stuff. And a lot of the time it's like, she was just thinking like, how to leave and like she was just pretty much fed up she's like you know I really like we we have to sit and talk she's like after you graduate um which graduation was two weeks away she's like you know after you graduate you know me and you and your brothers we need to sit down and talk about like how we're gonna leave and she actually had a plan one of her friends who I call my my auntie she had her tenant living at the bottom of her house and that's where we were supposed to go like at the end of June um which unfortunately that didn't end up happening but like I I don't I don't blame my mother people have placed blame on her for certain things but you know I think she definitely was vocal at times about um wanting to leave like vocal in front of my father maybe or to my father Mm -hmm. and I think when he sensed that like she was really really done um that's when he started to feel like threatened I guess and um, and things definitely escalated in like the two to four weeks, like leading up to everything that happened. It's just interesting. Like in those four or five years, there were like periods of like tension and then maybe you have a few good couple weeks and things feel normal. Like you're watching movies as a family, like in the shop kind of thing, or it's all over the place feels kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And I just wonder you were at your mom's friend's house when y'all went there, your parents had separated. Do you remember feeling like able to rest? Were you able to take a deep breath and did you feel safer there? Oh, you actually reminded me. (laughs) Um, So like I felt better there than I did at the shop and the shop and where we were living, it was only like literally three blocks away. So really close walk um, or five blocks, sorry, whatever, very close. And my, um, so a lot of times, like I would just stay with my mom, like until my father was like really pressing me to go and visit him. Um, and then I would go, but I hated going because he tended to like, he'd always drop me off with the car and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but he'd leave me in the car with him for like every single time, at least like an hour just talking kind of vaguely but kind of not like about my mom and stuff like just negatively and like you know your mom did something bad and you know all this stuff and and I remember one time like I just opened the door when he was like in the middle of a sentence because I was just I was just so I was just so tired of it and and then he's like he's like close the door like you know don't don't be disrespectful like I'm, I'm I'm talking to you right now and then I just stayed in there and so there, like with my mom, I felt good. Um, but obviously, like I was still like obligated to go see my father. And even my mom, she would encourage me to go and see him. Because a lot of times I'm just like, I, I don't want to go. Um, I guess safe. Yeah, safe there. Felt safe. But I think once they started like communicating again, then I felt like whatever. Like I, I couldn't avoid it anymore, I guess. like now. He's at the shop, but he's also like, he's here now, like every so often. So 
you don't really feel like you have like a, I guess like a place of, yeah, the place of relief uh, yeah. that we kind of talked about. So, yeah. well, let's talk about your graduation for a minute. Okay. Um, so that's a significant milestone in students' lives. What did graduation feel like for you? Um, I was really happy. Like, uh, I remember I just, I don't know. I just, I felt really good. Um, even though I, I don't, I remember I didn't really have like, uh, any kind of idea about what exactly I was going to do next, but I think I was just glad to be out of high school. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I was thinking about working. I was thinking about also going to like nursing school, like at that time, that was okay. something I was interested in. We, like after the ceremony, my whole family, like my parents and my brothers, we went out with two of our family friends and then two of me and my brother's friends. Uh-huh. Uh, so like we went out to eat. And yeah, it was just like it was really pleasant. Like it just if you saw us, you'd feel like, oh, like everything's just perfect. And um, but I remember like the next day, I think my mom. Yeah, the next day, my mom told me that right before. Uh, my parents had left to the ceremony that my father had hit her. That two week period was like before graduation was very tense. I don't know exactly what was going on, except for the fact that my mom wanted to leave. And I guess my father had had an idea about that. So. So he somehow knew whether he sensed it or whether he was on to her plans. Take us to some of the next things that happened. The only day that I really remember is uh, the day that everything happened. So I was at the front of the shop, which is where like my father conducts his business, obviously. Um, so I was at the front of the shop with my father and uh, my mom's friend. So my auntie, she like came over. She gave me like balloons and like $40 and, you know, for my graduation and everything. And my mom went out and sat inside of her friend's car uh, with her friend and they were just like talking. So I could see them through the glass, like um, that they're just like chatting and stuff. And I still remember I was like looking up books online to spend like the money on. And my father was just sitting at his desk and everything. And um and I remember just he would like peer over his desk every, you know, whatever, 20 seconds. Like it was very often mm-hmm. just looking at my mom and it didn't feel like just, oh, you know, regular glance or anything. It was like he just like really looking at her and and it made me uncomfortable, but I just kind of kept doing what I was doing. And um, eventually, like they finished their conversation my mom came inside. She went to the back room and she was like kind of organizing papers or something um, into her file. And and then my father goes to the back like shortly after she does. And then I hear my mom like yell out my name. And um, and so I run to the back and and my father is just like like towering over her again. And and she was yelling like you know he hit me he hit me and um and then my father I don't know he was just he was just acting like completely nonchalant um and I just got in between them and I like pushed my father away and I was like leave her alone he went to the front of the shop and my mom she was like 
I want to go to the back, like out the back door, meet me outside. And like, we always went for walks together. So we were just going to go for a walk. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go get changed because I was in my pajamas. So I was like, I want to change and then I'll meet you outside. Before I even get a chance to change or anything, my father is just going right after her, after he hears the the noise from the door shake, I guess. And I just didn't feel good, obviously, like he had just hit her and uh, like I wasn't anticipating anything good happening. So I went after him and he tried pushing the door closed behind him and like, so I couldn't get out, but I just kept pushing and I started crying and, and I got out and uh, my mom was like, she saw me crying and she wiped my tears and she's just like, you know, don't cry. Like people are watching because there were neighbors outside. And so my father, he just like kept blocking her. So my mom's trying to go in whatever direction. He's literally just blocking her. and. It just looked ridiculous, honestly, like when I remember. Um, so I took my mom's hand and I walk her into the alley behind the shop. And um, and I was like, you know, like, let's let's just go. So I managed like well, we both managed to walk there before, without him like blocking us or anything. But then he stops us and he's like, you know, let me just talk to your mom. Let me talk to your mom. And uh, and I just kept saying no. and this is just kind of repeated back and forth for a while. And, um, and then my mom told me, you know, she's like, uh, she's like, it's okay. He's just like, she was very irritated, I think more than anything and angry, I'm sure. But she's like, Oh, he's just going to tell me the same things he's been telling me. Like, it's okay. Just, just go. Um, and I said no a few times and eventually I, I did walk away and, um, I just, I told, I told her, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll walk away, but I'm not going inside. So I just walked to where the back door is and I just kind of stood watching. And, uh, yeah, my father was just like saying whatever he was saying. And, um, and then like, I just see him like put his hands into like the back of his pants and, takes out a gun and then he just shoots her multiple times and then that was it pretty much and like with my father after that like I I ran away after my little brother was still sleeping in the shop my older brothers one of brothers was working and the other one had like a convention that he was attending in San Francisco and I just like ran away until um like the police eventually got me and they took me back to the shop and like I see my little brother getting handcuffed on the curb and he was only 12 at the time. And I'm just like, what is going on? Um, but I, he had no idea what happened. Um, Cause I found out from him later that the police had like, they broke the glass to enter the shop and then they woke my little brother up. Um, and of course they don't know exactly what happened and stuff, but you know, but yeah, so they handcuffed him and stuff and he was just kind of, talking to me from where he was while I was in the car police car and he's like he's kind of like oh like what's going on but he doesn't seem like panicked like he's definitely not thinking like the worst possible thing he's thinking like oh what's going on kind of like you know kind of just like a light-hearted kind of like oh you know this is crazy yeah kind of way <laughs> and so so I just told him, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll see you later. I love you. And, you know, we'll, we'll meet later. So yeah, I go to the police station and, 
Um, and I was there for a few hours before they finally interviewed me. And that's when they told me that my father was um, like fatally shot by the responding officer for aiming a gun at the officer. Oh my goodness. So, and then, yeah, like I reunited with my brothers and stuff at the station after my interview and crying or our eyes were like red. And yeah, that was pretty much um, most of what happened that day. (sighs) I'm just having a tough time thinking about your bravery and what that must have been like. So sweet. Uh, seriously, I'm I'm like, even now, like you asked me like last week, <laughs> you were like, oh, like, is it hard for you to talk about? And I'm like, you know, I always, I always have a little bit of a hard time, especially when I talk about like how I left my mom's side. Like, um, I get a little emotional about that still just because yeah. I'm like, you know, I I always think like, I'm just like, what if somebody else was there? Like, what if one of my older brothers was there? Like, would they leave my mom? Like, you know, um, like sometimes I just feel like I was, I, I try not to think about it too much yeah. because, you know, it's just like, what can you do? But, right. um, but yeah, like sometimes it's like, I can't help, but just kind of think to myself, like, you know, my father literally threatened her multiple times over the years, you know, like I'll kill you, you know? And he just hit her. And, you know, even I don't think I mentioned this, but sometime within those two weeks prior to my mom's murder, uh, my father requested to talk to me. We talked outside the park right across the street from the shop. First thing he said is like, oh, what would you do if me and your mom died? And then I was like, it was just so weird to me. I was like, "I I don't know. Um, I was like, well, what do you mean? Um, and I said, why are you asking that question? And then he kind of chuckled a little bit when I said that. And he's like, um, he's like, if that happens, I want you to go to, um, he's, he mentioned a specific auntie's house, like one of my mom's friends. And, uh, and then he kind of laughed again and he was like, I need to write my will. And then he just got up and went back to the shop and that was it. And I told my mom about it uh-huh. and I, I don't know exactly what she thought. I think she was just, I think it just annoyed her. Uh-huh. Like, it, like that's kind of what I sensed from her reaction, but I don't know what, I don't know if she kind of thought further than that and didn't say anything like the chaos that you all had been living in for years. I mean, I'm sure at the time that just felt like one more piece of this puzzle where nothing made sense. That's that you're point. <laughs> Thank you. I literally never thought about that. That's crazy. This is one of those epiphanies. Thank you. I'm so glad. Did you guys have a funeral or what happened next? And what were the next couple of weeks like? Um, so we did have a funeral, like once the coroner released like the bodies and stuff. Um, and that was like four days after. So it was a Wednesday, I think. Okay. I think anyway, someday. Um, I bet the day is together. Yeah, (laughs) I think it was Wednesday, but yeah, it was. um, So you had it four days later, and um, and it was together actually their funerals. So the way that we do it is like um, we kind of like pray um, 
yeah, like we have like a funeral prayer that we do like at the mosque uh, usually. And, um, and so there were like a lot of people there and we did the prayer and then we buried them. They, they were buried right next to each other. That's the other thing. So sometimes I'll just go to the, <laughs> to the cemetery and um, I'm just like, uh, like, I just want some time with my mom, you know, like <laughs> Tamala. So um, I remember I went recently, actually, like last year with um, one of my moms, one of her best friends. And I'm just super grateful for her because she's like one of the few people because like I, I love I love all of my mom's friends anyway. But like this particular auntie of mine, she like she'll actually express like, you know, I am angry at what your father did. And that makes me feel good because I'm just like, you know, like a lot of the other aunties. And I understand, but like they, they won't say something like that. They're like, oh, both your parents, we loved both your parents. And I get it. They did. And that's true. It's also true. Like I went to the cemetery with this particular aunt and, you know, even with how she's feeling, um, like we prayed for my mom and stuff. And then she's like, oh, would you mind if I also prayed for your father? And I was like, I was like, of course you could pray for him. I was like, I'm just not going to join you yeah. <laughs> right now. So, <laughs> um. Yeah, so it's just it's just kind of crazy, honestly. Like, cause I I used to have like very very strong feelings about this, where I'm just like, would would any like would would you bury the murder of somebody right next to them? You know, like that kind of thing. But yeah. at this point, I'm just kind of like, you know what? I'm there for my mom, and that's all that matters. <laughs> so, yeah. but whew, that is heavy to think that every time you go visit your mom not that you would not be reminded of what happened but still yeah. <laughs> right there in your face what did the next couple of years look like we actually did end up staying with the aunt that my father mentioned for three months and then we were graciously they've been very generous uh with us someone in our community they offered us like uh, the basement of one of their homes but the two years following I think yeah like really hard on like all of us for sure um my little brother it was the summer after he finished seventh grade when this happened so he just finished seventh grade and then everything happened and I think like that year he was doing okay um because I think we had like a lot of support a lot more support I guess in the first year like where he was like able to get to school and and all this stuff and then like maybe the next year and his time in high school was just very rough always late like we didn't have a car and we lived in but he went to school in like a different like the next city and transportation wasn't good so he'd have to get up at like five in the morning to walk to the bus to get to school at like eight eight thirty um so he'd miss school a lot and I think I think just in general, it was just it was just hard to care about anything, you know, because like things at home like weren't super good. And um, I had like a conversation like maybe a year and a half ago with my older brothers, because I remember like at the time that this was happening, like I was, you know, I had just turned 18. My little brother was like turning 13. And then my older brothers, they were like. 19 going on 20 and then 20 um 23 so very young like 20 and 23 years old and but like of course when you're like the younger sibling 
you're kind of seeing them as like, oh, they're adults, they're grownups, they should be taking care of us. So I think like um, me and my little brother, we had a lot of expectation from them and our expectations were not being fulfilled. So it was like, it was just really difficult in terms of just everything, just like having money um, for food or having transportation or, you know, having like all, all types of support and stuff. But it's like, I guess I couldn't like see it then, but we kind of talked about it um, again, like last year or something just about like how, yeah, we were, we were all having a hard time and we were all super young. But for me, like the first six months after, I think I was just kind of in shock. Like it wasn't really hitting me. Um, like I remember maybe a week after the funeral, I went and hung out with um, a couple of our friends and, and I was just, I was just totally like, I seemed totally fine. And I remember um, I mentioned to their mom because she she mentioned some kind of amusement park and like I still remember I excitedly was like oh yeah we should go and then she kind of gave me a look where she was like yeah of course we'll go he like but maybe maybe not right now <laughs> like um you know kind of like a lot of stuff just happened you know so um but yeah I was just I was in shock and then yeah. I think after six months it just kind of kind of hit me and and that was not good so for a few years after just kind of very up and down. You just, I guess you don't know how you would handle something like that until you are in the middle of it. You think, yeah, I guess, I guess the family just comes together and they support the youngest. And, but the reality is that you mentioned that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Everybody was young. And when you're 23, you don't think about stepping into the role of a parent. And you don't think about what it would look like to be the surrogate parent for a middle school or, or new high school student. I mean, that's a huge responsibility. And even when you are, you don't know how to be a parent, but just put into that position. You know, I'm just thinking about what you said about the bus and attendance and stuff like that. I mean, those, it makes so much sense that those things would be a struggle when, the closest parent is 23 years old. Yeah, exactly. Did, I know that happened when he was, he had just finished seventh grade, you said. And so then the next year at eighth grade was, you said, okay for him in school. And then he graduated to high school. And I'm just curious um, what the relationship between the, the junior high and the high school is. Do you think your story traveled with him to the high school or was it a big high school and he just blended in? No, I don't, I don't think people knew like it was, I don't know. It was like 20, I think it's 2000 to 2,500 kids. So I think that's a fairly large high school. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So people didn't know or anything, but I I think it's just like, it was kind of hitting him more maybe. And also things just started getting like a lot harder. Like we had like a whole year where it's just things are kind of getting like progressively worse in terms of just, again, like not having money for just basic necessities. And my little brother actually like, he's been working like since he was 15 years old. So for a very long time. And and that wasn't because, oh, I just want to work. It's literally like, I need, I need to take care of myself because there's nobody that's going to take care of me. And 
And that's something I still feel bad, obviously, because you wish that you could have done more, stepped up and given him like a childhood, which I don't feel like he had at all. Even the shop we moved in when he was eight years old. Most of his life, it's been just a lot of chaos, a lot of struggle. And again, I, I think... I think when you're just going through all this stuff where it's just literally like, okay, I'm just kind of in survival mode type thing. It's just like, how, how are you going to expect him? Or, you know, how, how can someone expect anyone to just kind of, oh yeah, let me focus on my grades when I could barely, you know, have, you know, the food that I need to eat, or it takes me three hours to get to and from school. Like why, why am I going to go spend six hours commuting for an eight hour school day? So it's just, yeah. (laughs) Well, in that right there that you just said, that is the soapbox that we stand on and preach about um, all day, every day, because you're right. Kids cannot learn. It's science. They cannot learn until those basic needs are taken care of. And so Kim are so passionate and we try to spread this passion. So passionate about getting in there and knowing your kids. I mean, up on my wall, I have a, a thing that says, what's your story? Because every person that comes through our door has a story that contributes to how they perform at school. And, you know, is school their escape or are they trying to hold down a job? I mean, what, what is their story? And I just, my heart aches because I wish that somebody could have known your story, your brother's story. And, but I also know that there are other students out there who are experiencing similar things to what you all are going through. And that's when I heard your story, I just, I wanted to get you on here because the more people that, that hear about it, the more awareness there is. I don't think you fit a typical, like what we would look for. There wasn't anything that would stand out from what you're saying. Um, You know, maybe you were talking about you had good grades and then you didn't. That's been a red flag for us with some students in the past where we've started to notice those things. And then it's led to discovering some things that were going on. But other than that, you really didn't fit the mold of what we were looking for. No, yeah. I mean, that actually reminds me, like, it's really funny because it's, I think it's happened to kind of all of us, probably me and my brothers. I'm sure it's happened to a lot of people, but it's like, I'll tell somebody at some point what happened to my mom or some part of our life. And they're like, oh, wow, you just seem so happy. I wouldn't have expected that. Or, you know, you're just so positive. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't think that that happened to you guys. Like, you really don't know. Cause it's like, someone could just seem totally like, fine and and you think you really know them but come to find out it's like they're just going through all this stuff that you like you had no idea about and whether that's positive or negative but it's like you just don't know I wish it was easy to kind of distinguish though like you're saying because even me I think about it I'm like you know I was going through this and people didn't know but I'm sure there were people that were going through things too and they also didn't say anything people that I talked to at school or whatever and and I had no idea what they were going through. Yeah. One of the things that Kim and I speak about and uh, have done, we call them minute meetings, where within the first few weeks of school, we try to sit down with every student in the school and we ask them questions that we know what we're asking. We know what we're looking for. But the student would just think that we're just trying to get to know them. When I was in high school 
like I, I did mention how like my mom um, and just kind of all of us, like we just kind of didn't want things to be known about like what, what was going on with our family and stuff like that. But I remember like I would kind of give it kind of sounds ridiculous now, but I'd give like subtle hints, I guess, to like maybe my teachers and stuff, um, like very subtle. Like I wouldn't say like, oh, where we're living or that my father's abusive, but maybe I'll ask certain questions and I would just kind of hope that they would kind of, you know, be interested enough to kind of allow me to open up more. But a lot of times, like maybe I wasn't as direct as I could have been. Maybe they didn't catch on. Maybe they didn't care. I don't know. But like the teachers like didn't really, I guess I wasn't getting what I was hoping um, by doing that. Do you remember any of the subtle hints that you tried to leave or tried to say? I remember I made a entry probably the the week that it happened many years ago. So this is an entry from 2010. Sorry, this is so weird that I even have this to reference. I was like, here, I have the receipts. Like, okay, so this is all I wrote. I don't remember everything, but okay, I said. I absolutely hate it when people know absolutely nothing about you, yet they talk to you as if they know all there is to know about you. And yes, I was crazy enough to go to my teacher for some advice on my quote-unquote not-so-personal life, that is, the home situation. He then starts calling me a liar, and now keeps calling me a liar. And I hate it so much because she doesn't know anything about me. I think I'm actually handling all of these situations rather well. It's so weird because as much as I dislike school sometimes, Almost always, school is like a place for me to get away from my other life. So that was, I think, spring 2010. So like freshman year. Wow. Yeah. Um, I I was shocked myself when I read that. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Please write a a book. (laughs) Even as you were reading that, like I was just like into it and so yeah you've got a gift that's so sweet oh my God, you're, you're really like you're really bringing it back I need the inspiration thank you I, no seriously you're a great counselor <laughs> well um and I will say counseling has changed a lot over the years and so yeah. we I think if you wrote that now, I really believe that that would get the attention of the educator that you wrote it to. Um, I think that word has spread a little bit more about what the counselor is truly here for. And the, the role has changed, too. You're talking about having the one caring adult and, and things like that. And I feel like that is really important because sometimes I know not everyone could be like that, which is why you want the one caring adult, at least. but. I just think about how, you know, like certain teachers, like, yeah, it just kind of seems like you're just in and out of the classroom, you know, like maybe they barely even know like your name or, you know, like you guys barely interact at all in the school year. Um, Other teachers, maybe you're spending like your lunch in there in the classroom with your friends and stuff. And I think the teachers that like care, which I feel like I really experienced that more so in elementary school. Um, 
but and even middle school but I feel like that's very important to have maybe you feel like more able to open up I do have like the hope that if you see like a student is struggling in your class or something um or struggling with something not related to school you know at least hear them out and if there's anything that you could do at all try to do it for them well and I that's so well said thinking about your brother going to the high school and that story not transferring with him I remember there was a point I can't remember exactly what happened but I just remember I was concerned about my little brother um and I actually emailed the school counselor at his high school and I was like um you know I was like please like I guess like yeah please be proactive about like getting him in your office just because I'm concerned or whatever and I guess that email, I don't know, whoever read it, they were just like, you know, unfortunately right now there is no school. Uh, there, there was no psychologist, they said, no school psychologist at the moment or something. And I'm just like, that is so crazy. There's not like one psychologist at the school. <laughs> um, but even even the counselor, like sending them that email, it just didn't, it just sounded very like, oh, okay. I also just think like how how much how much can a person do it? But it's it's not even about that. Like sometimes it's just like you need to try different things with people to see kind of what sticks, I guess, or what's going to help them, what's going to impact them. Cause it's like, I don't know, maybe for some people it's like something really, really simple. Like you just need to ask them like, Hey, is everything okay? And then they're just going to spill everything. But other people are just going to be harder to kind of crack open, I guess. I don't know. I also find it interesting that you said you felt that connection to your teachers, a stronger connection when you were in elementary school, like they knew you more personally and stuff like that. Yet when you really needed them was when you were in high school and didn't have that connection. And yeah. I'm, the opposite may be true for a lot of our students now, you know, I, yeah. I know there are students that are in elementary that, that need that connection now, but um, oh, so many parts of this are just, so heartbreaking. And I knew the ending, but it yeah. didn't get any easier to hear and probably worse. Cause like, I feel like we're besties now. And so <laughs> I'm like, it made it harder. No, no. <laughs> so funny. I swear today I was just like, Oh my God. Like, cause you know, I'm like, I don't like, I don't have like my group of friends anymore or my yeah. aunties around. So I'm like, man, I just, I miss like the crazy, crazy, like, crying laughing that I had with my friends and stuff um over just like ridiculous things and 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 I'm just like oh I feel like I'm having that right now a little uh, slice of it but thank you uh, well I would I could just keep you on here for the rest of the day like I just I don't know I just feel so like we are long lost friends or something um and I, I feel the same way I was like I wish I could just hang out with you <laughs> Well, and if Kim were here, then you would really just want to hang out with us because she is so much fun. So if we're ever out your direction or if you're ever out here, then you're going to have to let us know so that we can get together because I really think that we would just have a big time. No, me too. <laughs> but I I was just so gripped by your strength and just your vulnerability to share your story. And I, I just... You're amazing. I and I'm sure people tell you that all the time. And I hope that my words don't just sound trite, but I really think that we come across people sometimes and we just think, I don't know how you have 
survived. Because it's not just one thing that you've survived, but as you've told your story, it's so many multiple things and just the resilience that you have. I'm just in awe. That's so sweet. And thank you so much. Honestly, I'm very, very honored to be talking to you. Seriously. Thank you. I'm so honored that you would trust us enough to share your story. Um, So thank you. Just thank you so much. And on behalf of every school counselor, I just want to say, first of all, I'm so sorry that you all went through this. And I just, I don't know. I just, on behalf of every school counselor, thank you. Thank you for giving us insight on what goes on behind just the facade of what a family may look like. Um, You're helping all of us. So thank you so much. And thank you so much, both of you, for like what you guys are doing. Seriously, it's amazing. So, Laura, these these stories I know are, are tough, and and I do appreciate you doing this without me and going ahead because I think this is one that needs to get out there. And, uh, you know, anytime we we do what everybody has a story, there's always these takeaways that we hope that inspire us and inspire others to maybe do one thing or to make one change or even if one person, you know, if, if, if something happens where one person comes out of a situation or is helped, it's so worth it. And uh, so I'm glad you went ahead and, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm glad you went ahead without me and, and did this. And I think it was needed and, and well done. Well, we, I, I, we had wanted this guest for a long time. Yeah. And we had tried to make our schedules work and it just, there was always a conflict. And so when we finally had a time that would work, I thought I am going to seize this opportunity, whether you're here or not. And I would have told you to go ahead, whether I was here or not, just because her story needed to be told. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we got it in. So thank you, Nor, for telling your story and sharing it with us and being so vulnerable. And I know it's going to change lives. So well, Laura, speaking of, uh, everybody has a story, you know, you and I have really focused on, uh, listening to students and teachers when they talk about behaviors and looking at that as a story, every behavior tells a story and we're adamant about that. We're excited about that. And it just seems like at every turn we are drawn to uh, learning more about the brain and learning more about behaviors and how to use that, how, what are practical things that educators can be doing. And in a lot of that, we're taking our energies for a big project, which is going to be a behavior webinar for educators. And you say webinar, I say conference. To me, a webinar is one speaker. A conference to me is Lots of different speakers. So you say tomato and I say tomato. Okay, okay. I got you. It's a conference. Okay. So we are putting some time and energy into organizing a bunch of um, leading voices on behavior, behavior strategies, brain development, all of the topics that are related to behavior that we think school counselors need to know about. Not just school counselors, but teachers would benefit from this. Administrators would benefit from this. So we wanted to just let you guys know 
to start having these conversations. It's going to be early 2024 when we launch this. Um, and so one of the things that we're interested in right now is if you have a topic that's burning on your heart right now that you feel like would really benefit um, counselor or benefit people, attendees to this virtual conference, then please submit a proposal. Maybe you're wanting to dip your feet into speaking on a national level. Well, this is a great way to do it because you're going to have a national audience and um, you can pre-record your session and submit it to us. So, you know, this is a great opportunity to do it with no audience in front of you and just see how it goes. So anyway, we would like you to submit a proposal if you have a topic about brain development, behavior strategies, or just like we just heard, if you have a story that you think would help educators understand maybe what's going on beneath the surface and behind closed doors, um, it kind of gives us the rest of the story, then you can submit that too. Fantastic. And as always, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. You can leave us a rating and a review on wherever you listen to our podcast because it does help other people find our podcast. Until next Fantastic. time. Fantastic. Great episode. And we will talk to everyone soon.